pastor sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the treasury temple. Temple treasury, sorry. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Though they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of their poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Father, we pray that your hand may be upon us, your spirit working within us, that we may hear your word and rejoice, know your will and seek to do it. Teach us your ways, Father, that we may reveal you in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, last week, uh, we uh, remember we looked uh, at our giving uh, and saw in it that it was a measure of our unity, that what we do together as a community uh, in our giving is... Uh, expresses our unity and our common life. And then we saw it uh, as a measure of um, the grace that we have received, that uh, the, 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 the goodness of God wells up within us and overflows in our generosity. And thirdly, we saw it as a, as a measure of our maturity, that actually getting to grips with giving and facing the issues of our finance is something that Christians grow into as a matter of maturity. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, I can get his name, Wesley, who said that the last bit of a man to be converted is his wallet. Well, here we are in a state of maturity addressing the issues of our wallet. And we had that little um, booklet, Giving an Affair of the Heart, for you to read through the week uh, and to do the spiritual exercises if you so desired. And there are some more on the money table which is at the back there. And, uh, and this week we begin uh, with a bit of a, a moment of repentance um, because last week we put up uh, some figures. These are true figures delivered by Malcolm. 
which tell us about uh, how many people in certain age categories are giving in our planned giving scheme. And you can see there that the grades of giving were uh, in the lead there with uh, just over 40 people. And uh, we noted there that, um, that uh, we put up with a pie chart uh, and those grades of giving were giving 44% uh, and we noted that the younger ones uh, were, uh, were less on the scale. But when we put those two uh, graphs together, if we combine them, they have a kind of different effect. And uh, we find that actually the younger generations are the ones who are outgiving the rest of us. What a shock that was. And uh, uh, perhaps we can learn something from them. And uh, just to, to put you in the picture here, this uh, 20s to 29s, the blue is the number of people giving, uh, and the green is the amount in percentage terms that they are giving. And there are two... 2% of the numbers in our giving scheme are the young, the under the under 30s, but they're giving 3% of the amount given. And actually, that's quite a lot of money. 3% of the amount given is almost maybe just about £3,000. So that's not uh, a small sum of money that uh, the 2% are giving. And then there's the next, uh, the next column is the 35s to 40s, and you can see there that there are 18% uh, of the number of people giving, but actually they're giving 27%, outperforming their uh, numbers percentage by quite a lot. Then there's uh, the grey column, as it was in the previous chart, um, 40, 44 people who are giving, give, uh, sorry, 44%, and they are giving uh, just about a par. They're giving just about 44%, 42% to 44%. And then there's the 70-year-olds, which is the last column, this one here, over 70s. We're just under, uh, they're about 35%, but they're giving much less proportionately. And this is kind of a handy way in to what we want to reflect about in terms of, uh, of our scripture today from Mark 12, 41 uh, to 44. What was happening in that temple as Jesus sat down in front of those great brass trumpets set there that... Uh, collected the money as it was thrown in, clattering away as the people put uh, their cash uh, in there. And some people, as we're told in that text, were giving large amounts. Perhaps, actually, today, because of what I've already said, some people might feel uh, that it's, uh, they're a bit got at. But that's not what Jesus was about when he was sitting there. In this account of, account of the giving in, in the temple, Jesus is watching the gifts being brought, and we ought to know where it is. It's in the temple. Monetary gifts were being brought into the temple, into his house, because godliness and charitable giving go together. 
it's right that where God is honoured in our worship, he is also honoured by our generosity. Church should be interested in financial matters because we know, don't we, that money is a profoundly spiritual thing. So if you want a word from the Lord from me on this, and it's, I suppose this is my word, not a word from the Lord as such from Scripture, but it is my belief that our giving should be first and foremost to God's church. Because God's church is his kingdom community of people set in the world to convey the kingdom of God and reveal his way. And it's important, too, to realise that whilst we have done these statistical analyses, on the, it's not the church who has the eye on the money, on the offering. It's that Jesus has his eye on the offering. It's Jesus himself who is sitting there watching the giving in the temple just as he watches us in our giving now. It's the Lord who judges the worthiness of our gift. And it's worth noticing too that Jesus didn't seem to begrudge the fact that he didn't have any money to put in himself. Nor does he begrudge the fact that he had no control over what was given into the temple treasury. He didn't claim that place. So if you want another word from me on this, it's that I believe that there are limits to our responsibilities in giving. Our duty is to give. And it's the responsibility of others to dispose of it. And they will have to answer for it. So the woman gave her two pennyworth. She could have been chided for not giving it to somebody that she knew who was in need. But instead, Jesus commends her for the offering, even though he knew that the temple authorities were shoddy, that they were corrupt in their use of it. He had been railing against the temple uh, and speaking in condemnation <coughs> of them before just a few verses before. But she gives to the temple because she gives to the Lord. And thirdly, we should realise that Jesus' attention is not on the size of the donation, on her two mites tinkling down that trumpet. His, his vision is on the size of the heart with which it was given. Jesus called his disciples and says, this poor widow has put more into the treasury from, for, than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything. So, if we feel condemned by the smallness of the amount that we're giving, it's either because it is small and we know before God that it should be larger, or we're focusing too much on the amount and not enough on the heart, in which case it's false condemnation and we can do without it. 
because we're already doing what's being asked of us. Being a big giver does not depend on being able to give large amounts. And it's because God looks at our heart and knows our hearts that it's important to have a clear conscience before him. So, turning to these verses from Malachi in the Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. He speaks of God's indignation when the people were not honouring him with their gifts. He accuses them of robbing them. And it's not that they were taking anything away. It was that they were not bringing all that they should. Will a man rob God? How do we rob God? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And even as this was said, note, God was giving the promise of blessing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing you'll not have enough room for it. That is the promise of God. A tithe, a tenth, Brought, in to, brought to God to honour him and his blessing is abundant, but less than a tenth, and we're robbing him. Now this business of a tenth, it's an Old Testament biblical principle, a way of proportionately sharing out the responsibility of giving according to ability. Way back uh, in the beginning of all things, there was uh, this notion that the tenth was the king's share, a kind of tax from all the people to keep the royal household and the administration of the nation going. Interestingly, because we are taxed on the basic rate of tax of 20%. But then I suppose in those days there was less expectation on the social services that governments were to provide. And interestingly enough, of course, it's the church that invented all those social services that we now expect the government to provide. How prophetic is the church in that? Back in Genesis, uh, we find there's this encounter between Abraham, remember him, the father of faith, and uh, the mysterious man called Melchizedek, who was king of Salem. There's the, there's the clue, you see. Salem was Jerusalem. He was king of it. And he was also a priest of God. And uh, Abraham had been on a bit of a, 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 bit of a battle tour. And uh, Melchizedek, as he comes back, Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine to bless him. So Abraham, the father of faith, receives the, bless, the blessing of bread and wine from the priest and the king. And in response, Abraham gives him the king's share, a tenth of all that he has. But when Melchizedek, for various reasons, tries to return it to Abraham, Abraham refuses to accept that tenth, saying, no, I have given it in order to honor my God. So there's a link between the king's share 
and honouring God. But then, a few chapters later, Abraham's grandson, uh, Jacob, he's the father of Israel, of course, after an encounter with God in a dream, declares God to be his king by giving him a tenth of all he has. Abraham gave to the king and honoured God. Jacob gives to the king, gives to God and declares him king. You can see how these two things become interwoven. So the idea of this tenth grows as a benchmark number by which to honour God. And it became enshrined in the law. Uh, oh, yes, there we are. It became enshrined in the law uh, when they kind of wrote it down in the book of Leviticus that a tenth of whatever was produced from the land belonged to God, to be brought into the temple. And having enshrined it in law, then it was only a natural step to include it in the worship that took place in the temple. So in 2 Chronicles 31, 4-5, we find the people bringing their tenth to the temple and laying it before the Lord. So the tenth becomes this serious principle by which people can honour God. Something that took account of proportionate giving according to means. And a violation of that principle amongst the people of Israel, as we read in Malachi, was a serious business. It was a robbing of God. Jesus himself spoke sternly to the Pharisees that they should take the tenth seriously. So if we're looking for a word from God to guide us as to how our giving should be in terms of proportion, then the tenth is a good steer. But we don't treat this and we can't treat this matter as a slavish adherence to the word only. If we go back through the Bible, you see alongside the idea of this tenth, the whole idea and understanding of the willingness to give. It is something of word and spirit together. So go through scripture again. Go back in Exodus 25. Moses takes an offering uh, for the items of worship in the tabernacle, the tent that precedes uh, the temple. Uh, but he gives uh, explicit instructions that it was only to be taken from those whose hearts prompted them to give. Whose hearts prompted them to give. They were not obligated. It was to be a movement of the Spirit in their hearts. And then in 2 Chronicles 24, the people bring their contributions to the worship gladly. Gladly. Do something you love. You see, that's a little strap line for this uh, for these couple of talks. Do something you love. Bring it gladly. If, you don't, if you're not glad about it, don't give. Ezra, when they were rebuilding the temple after its destruction, they had this time of free will offerings brought according to ability. No one is obligated above their ability. So we can't lay down a hard and fast rule about the tenth because the principle of the word is tempered by the move of the spirit. 
There's no value in it if there's no spiritual input, no spiritual movement. Giving is a great thing to do, but you have to love to do it. So, we may ask, does this tenth apply to everything we get before we pay tax? Or to what we get next? And does it only apply to what I have after I've done all the shopping and all the outgoings of the month? Does it apply to what I have left at the end of the month? <coughs> well, if you're anything like me, that's like a pretty small figure. But some people do it that way. I don't know for you. How do we calculate it all? How does God move your heart to calculate it? My experience is that we grow continually in our assessment of it, keeping it under review, growing in our ability. And I feel too that if we do so, we will, as I said last week, always have this holy discomfort about it, this discomfort that we're giving a little bit too much than we're comfortable with, but also uncomfortable because we know there's always more that we could give. So we must be careful not to think that this idea of the Spirit prompting us lets us off the hook. Because the power of God working in us far outweighs the power of the rule to move our hearts. When we get to the New Testament, we see that people were moved beyond their means. Here is this widow bringing all that she had to tinkle its way down those collecting trumpets in the temple. And Jesus commends her, rejoices in what he sees. Paul writes to the church in, uh, in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, about the church in Macedonia, which had given to this collection, he says that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. An overflow from their very poverty of giving. So this movement of the Spirit both comforts us, reassuring us in our financial struggles, and it's also something of a discomfort to us, moving us on, keeping us kind of in continual assessment of ourselves. First to the Lord, then to God's mission through his people. So giving is about word and spirit. And that makes it something about our relationship with God. A relationship that directs our giving in various ways. Some people give their tenth to various places. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. They give 5% here, they give 5% there. And that's, of course, the right to do. They can 
divvy it up in whichever way they go. For myself, I've come to the place where I give my first tenth to the church and then other giving goes elsewhere. And you also, if you remember, know that I have come to the point of, of making my first tenth before tax, not after. So it comes off the top of my gross income, not the net. But I do say again that this is my journey, our journey, not your journey. And I know that many of you are further along the journey of giving than I am. Having said all this, I think also that there are people to whom the tenth probably should not apply at all. Those on a low income where every pound is spent, where every pound spent goes on the necessities. If we were a real kingdom community, there are people amongst us who might uh, receive far more than they ever uh, give. Non-earning spouses where their partners are non-believers should not be thinking about giving a tenth, though there may be something that they can give. People who have excessive financial responsibilities, uh, maybe medical care, care of others, maintenance for others, dependence upon them. I don't think the tenth applies to them. And here's a shocking thing to say in church. If you're in financial debt, unsecured loans, you're unable to pay back your lender because you're giving, well, you should not be giving if you have unsecured loans because you're giving somebody else's money. You're not qualified to give. So get out of unsecured debt and then give and make it a priority. Because not everybody may be able to uh, give a tenth. But many, I think, have not even considered it. And yet giving is fundamental to our relationship with God. By our giving, God works through us. He shows his goodness to the world. By our giving, God works in us. He makes us more like himself, a giving God making us a giving people. And by our giving, God works with us, building his kingdom community, sharing together in the kingdom things. There are many ways that we can give to God's work. And on the money table, which is the money table at the back, just in front of uh, the sound system, uh, there are envelopes and different things to help you uh, enter into the church plan giving scheme. If you want more help and advice, see uh, Malcolm Burrell, who's standing just there, our treasurer. Thank you very much, Malcolm. Because, you see, it's not only by giving that we know God's promise. Well, I'll, I'll put it another way. By giving, we know God's promise becomes true. Malachi spoke about the promise. Bring the whole tithe 
into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room for it. We can't know that that's true unless we begin to step into this gift God's given us of being able to give of all that he has uh, provided that we may share together in our corporate life. My prayer is that Meadgate Church may be a place and a people of abundant blessing where we have entered into this grace of giving. Amen.